What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. All right, today we're projecting the NFC East, and let's just kick it off with the Eagles. So, as a whole, they added Darius Slay, obviously one of the best corners in the NFL, and they also traded for Marquise Goodwin from the 49ers, a field stretcher, to serve as a backup for Deshaun Jackson and a protection in case Deshaun Jackson goes down. They also signed Nickel Rolby Coleman, a corner, to balance the loss of Ronald Darby. And then they did lose a guard, Vitae, Haloti Vitae, and um, they had some middling defensive boost overall from their Darius Slay signing and Nikhil Roby Coleman adding to the team in place of Ronald Darby. So I think their defense is going to be slightly better. So with that in mind, we're going to get into Carson Wentz. So first off, they added Jalen Rager. Deshaun Jackson is going to be pretty much an ad for this fantasy season because last year, as we know, we he only played two games. So you're basically adding Deshaun Jackson, brand new, and in case he gets hurt, you have Marquise Goodwin to back him up. So he has much better, healthier weapons to work with this year, Carson Wentz does. So because of this, he's going to have an increased completion percentage and an increased touchdown rate and an increased yards per um, completion. And you also have Alshon, who hopefully can stay healthy the whole season. Last year, he wasn't. So you're going to have a completely different offense for Carson Wentz that's going to be better. And we've seen the effect that Deshaun Jackson has had with his past quarterbacks, from Kirk Cousins to Nick Foles to James Winston. He always massively increases the yards per completion and yards per attempt of his quarterback. So that's really going to help out Wentz with his yardage. Then you have Miles Sanders. So... Whenever you have increased weapons on a team, especially deep threats, that really, really helps running backs. So Miles Sanders is actually poised for a really good season, in my opinion, because of how easy the run game is going to be because of the deep threats of Rager, Jackson, Goodwin. And then obviously you have all your solid guys like Ertz, Goddard, Jeffrey. So Sanders is going to have a higher yards per, um, per carry, and he's also going to have positive touchdown regression coming because last year he only had three rushing touchdowns. I'm projecting this year for him to have 14 attempts per game, which is not that much. It's just barely above 50% of the total carries for the Eagles. So even if the Eagles do end up signing and bringing in a Carlos Hyde or a Lamar Miller or anybody off the street, um, a LaShawn McCoy, I don't really see myself changing Miles Sanders' projections because I only have him at 14 attempts per game, which is pretty safe in my opinion it's definitely lower than what he was getting at the end of last season when they fully committed to him after Jordan Howard was down so he actually has some some room to grow and a ceiling that I didn't project for him especially in touchdowns but you'll see that later when I give you my full projection for him at the end then we have Alshon Jeffrey so he's been steadily declining over the last years and you can see it with his yards per reception For the last four years, every single year, his yards per reception have gone down. He's also had a decreased target share um, with the emerging weapons, and that's going to continue. He is going to have 15% 
this year is what I'm projecting, opposed to 19% last year. And he was uh, before that in the 20s. So we've seen from Goddard emerging and also just his steady decline that he hasn't been used as much. I think that's going to continue, especially with the addition of a first-round wide receiver. Then you have Zach Ertz. So he's dominated targets in the past, and I think it's going to be much harder for him to do so this year. So I think it's no longer a tier one of three tight ends with Kelsey, Kittle, and Ertz. I think it's more of Kelsey, Kittle, then Ertz by himself in his own tier, and then the third tier with the other guys. And But I haven't gotten to Mark Andrews and a couple other guys that could, Darren Waller, that could challenge up there with Ertz and might actually be in the same tier as him now. Um, but as of right now, that's what it's looking like for me. But he's definitely not with Kelsey and Kittle. Um, this also may be his last year with the team because they have a potential out next year to save $5 million on their contract. And for the past few years, Philadelphia has been very cap-strapped. I think I said that correctly. Um, they've always been very close to the um, cap, the salary cap. And Ertz, they they might have to cut him because they have Goddard and they're going to have other weapons. So he could easily be cut. So that's something good to know for Dynasty because Goddard, if you can get him for a low price, would be a really good buy in Dynasty. And you can even point to Ertz's contract having two years left. Just don't mention the out when you're speaking to the person with Goddard because technically his contract is two years they just can save five million if they cut him after this year um i do think goddard's gonna have a slightly lower share this year just like Ertz, because of the addition of jalen rager and deshaun jackson being healthy the whole time um and then yeah so basically the addition of rager and goodwin and whatnot so far what we've seen is i think it's gonna kind of hurt everyone um it's also gonna hurt rager just in terms of obviously not comparing him to last year because he's a rookie, but he is going to be competing for targets. I actually do project him, uh, just barely, but I do project him to lead the wide receivers in targets for the Eagles, mostly because he's the most well-rounded of all their receivers. He can kind of do everything. He can do a lot of the things that you'll have Deshaun Jackson do, but he can also do a lot of the things that Alshon can do. A lot of people don't haven't really realized this with Rager, but He's a very, very good contested catch receiver, and he has good size too. He's not like a tiny, puny guy who can get knocked around. I actually compared him to Tyler Lockett coming into this draft. He's just a bigger, stronger version of that, um, and Tyler Lockett, I mean, we've seen him high point balls very well. He's good on the sidelines, tapping his toes down. Jalen Rager is very much like that, and I think he's going to become the one of the favorite targets um, behind Ertz, but one of the favorite targets for Carson wins pretty easy uh pretty quickly then we have Deshaun Jackson he's a low target boom bust guy for me I'm not really looking at him I mean if you're doing best ball drafts that's a different story you love to get guys like that especially if you can get them later on but for redraft leagues or just startups or whatnot just season long I'm not really touching Deshaun Jackson so here's my projections for the Eagles Wentz and remember whenever I do the quarterback projections I don't project um, in interceptions and fumbles for the biggest reason that the points vary so much across all leagues for interceptions and fumbles, whether it's minus one to all the way up to minus four, some people have. It's pretty crazy. So, I mean, you just know what guys turn the ball over a little bit more than other guys. So whenever I have, and I know that too in the back of my head, so whenever I have guys close to each other in points per game, if one turns the ball over significantly more, I will um, take the other guy. 
but Wentz I have at 22.3 points per game. I have him going for 4,800 yards, 34 touchdowns, 200 rushing yards, and one rushing touchdown. So he's actually just behind Kyler right now, and then there's one quarterback in front of Wentz that's in this division, which we'll get to. I'm sure you guys could guess who it is. Then we have Alshon, 8.3 points per game. Not going to be super relevant in my opinion. 85 targets, 45 receptions, 550 yards, 5 touchdowns. Then we have Djax, just barely above Alshon, 8.7 points per game. 70 targets, 40 receptions, 650 yards, and 6 touchdowns. Then we have Jalen Rager. I do think he's going to be pretty good amongst the group of rookie receivers, but he's not going to be the best one. I have him at 10.9 points per game, 95 targets. So like I said, he's the most targeted receiver, um, just 10 targets more than Alshon, who's at 85. We have Rager at 95 targets, 55 receptions, 800 yards, 5 touchdowns. Then we have Dallas Goddard. I think he's going to take kind of a a hit. Rager's going to be the biggest reason that he loses some targets. He's only going to have 75 per my projections with 55 catches, 600 yards, 5 touchdowns. Then we have Ertz. Like I said, 14 Point one points per game. He's outside of that tier with Kelsey and Kittle. I have him at 120 targets, so still a good number. 90 receptions. He's still going to be a safe floor, consistent tight end for your fantasy team. A thousand yards, six touchdowns. Then we have Miles Sanders. I did not think I was going to end up getting this um, hefty of a projection, especially because how I just told you, I have built-in ceiling for him because I only projected him for 14 attempts per game, which is very reasonable, barely above. 50%. I think if I remember correctly, it was 56% of the Eagles touches when I was answering a question on Twitter. And so I have him at 18.1 points per game, 1100 rushing yards, 60 receptions, 650 receiving yards, and only nine touchdowns. So not only does he have the ceiling to get more carries and more rushing yardage, it's also very possible that he gets more than nine total touchdowns. But I didn't want to project any more than that because I do think that they're going to rely more on Carson when it comes to the red zone, especially with the plethora of rep weapons he has, and they're not going to run it as much. So that is the Philadelphia Eagles for you. All right, now let's get into the Cowboys, probably the toughest division opponent for the Eagles this year, and they will definitely be fighting for a playoff spot. They had really big defensive losses, in my opinion, because they lost Robert Quinn. He had 11 and a half sacks last year. And they also lost Byron Jones to Miami, and Miami signed him to an $82 million deal for five years. So that's a lot of money as well. I mean, Byron Jones, whether, you know, a lot of people disagree whether he's like a top five corner, but I think it's pretty safe to say that he's around the top 10. And losing a guy like that, along with somebody who just turned in 11 and a half sacks for you, that's going to be some very, very detrimental uh that's going to be a big loss a detrimental loss to your defense so i think because of this they're going to have a uptick in passes but last year Dak had a high in his career of 596 passes so initially i was like okay i want to give them an uptick in passes they should have to throw the ball more but seeing how much they already threw the ball last year it's going to be hard to project Dak to be throwing in the 600s Then you have Mike McCarthy, and that kind of puts a different spin on the whole Cowboys and what do you think is going to happen? Because was Mike McCarthy, or is Mike McCarthy going to have an impact so much that their offense is going to look completely different, or is he going to utilize the weapons in a similar way that Jason Garrett did? 
So we don't really know the answers to that, and that's something that preseason will definitely shed light on for us, and it'll help clear our our, our projections, make them easier and more accurate. But he did pass a lot, Mike McCarthy, in his offenses with Aaron Rodgers, and he leaned a lot less on the run. So that is something that's kind of in the back of my mind when I'm going through Zeke, but when we get to Zeke, you'll see what I ended up concluding. Um, he had Rodgers the whole time, so it's also interesting to see, did he pass that much because he had Rodgers, or was he going to be that type of coach either way? So don't expect many targets to land outside of the main guys in Dallas. So outside of their three main receivers, Gallup, Amari Cooper, and the new, newly added CeeDee Lamb, and then you have Blake Jarwin and Zeke, outside of those five main guys, there's not going to be much more targets to go around. So I have all of them actually with a pretty, pretty good workload. Um, I was actually surprised with how much I was able to give to CeeDee Lamb. So let's go and start with Dak. He has insane weapons. He has one of the best offensive lines in the league, one of the best running backs in the league, has one of the best trios of receivers now in the league. Um, if CeeDee Lamb is anywhere close to what most of us think he is com was coming into the draft. So he should have a better completion percentage or a higher yards per uh, yards per completion. So I'm not sure if he's going to get both, but it's very possible that he gets both and improves on everything. But he's been a pretty good quarterback. It'll be hard to just jump on everything, but I definitely think he's going to see an increase in at least uh, one of those, possibly both. And he's probably going to have a higher touchdown percentage too. I do think that the fact that they're going to have such an efficient offense will actually be the thing that causes Dak to throw a little bit less, even though their defense is not going to be as good and they're going to have to rely on their offense more in games. I think it's just going to be more efficient as a whole, and they're not going to have to throw as much. So I have a slight, slight amount of pass attempts lower this year than last year. I also think he's going to run less because he has much better pass options. You know, in the past, we've seen him run six touchdowns his first three years, um, and then last year was the first one he didn't run for six. He ran for three, if I remember correctly, and he usually runs for around 300, 350 yards, but last year he threw... Uh, ran a little bit less. Well, last year he had Amari and Michael Gallup in his second year, so he had the best uh, receiving weapons that he's had since he's been here because, you know, his rookie year, Dez was kind of at the back end, and he didn't really have much help after that. Then once they got Amari last year, that was only second half of the season. Michael Gallup was still a rookie, so he's never had as good as um, he did last year, and then now it's going to be even better, so I think he's going to run less um, which is going to hurt him in fantasy a little bit, but he's going to be so much better in the past game. I believe that it's going to kind of balance out. Um, he should be more consistent versus tough defenses as well because of the fact of just the big step that the offense is taking um, moving forward. Then we have Amari Cooper. I do think he's going to have a slightly smaller target share with CeeDee Lamb, but not too much. In 2019, he had a 19.9% .9 target share. He's still likely to be inconsistent and a frustrating guy. I'm not going to be drafting Amari at all, but not just because of his inconsistency for another reason, and I'll get to that in just a second. Um, he is especially going to be losing a little bit of percentage from last year's 19.9 because there's another great wide receiver to target with CeeDee Lamb. So what's the main reason I'm not drafting Amari if it's not his inconsistency? It's Michael Gallup. You can get Michael Gallup two, three rounds later. So here's what's crazy. Michael Gallup had a higher target share last year last year than Amari Cooper did. Last year, he had 21.7% of Dak Prescott's passes. Um, so that's 2% higher than Amari Cooper. So 
I think he will get slightly less than Amari. I think CeeDee Lamb's going to hurt and siphon more targets from Gallup than he will from Amari, and Amari's still going to be the one and get the most targets. But, I mean, we've seen that Gallup can be just as good as Amari. They are actually the almost exact points per game last year. Amari had 15.4 points per game over the course of the season last year. Gallup in 14 games had 15.2 points per game. So he's a great draft value, and whenever there are two receivers that are so similar, I'm always going to take the second one that's two, three rounds later. So that's why I'm going to be taking Gallup and not touching Amari. Then we have CeeDee Lamb. I actually was very surprised how many targets I was able to get him. I'm sure most people have realized how many targets were left on the board once um, Jason Witten and Randall Cobb left town. I think CeeDee Lamb basically picks up Randall Cobb's targets plus a little bit more. So I... Uh, I have him for about 95 targets. Randall Cobb had 83, either 83 or 85. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I know it's one of those two. Randall Cobb had 15% of the targets last year. And so I have Slam slightly above 15%, around 16, 16.5%. So he should be able to produce um, much better than Cobb was because he's going to be more efficient than Cobb. He's a better receiver than Cobb is at this point in Cobb's career. And like I said, he's probably going to get a few more targets. Then we have Blake Jarwin. So with Witten gone, I think he basically fills that role with more productivity. It's pretty much impossible to be as bad as Witten was last year, but he did come out of retirement. It's no slight against Witten. He's been a great tight end. It's just he was not the guy that you wanted to be throwing the ball to last year. So Jarwin is going to be a decent tight end. I think he's going to be just a solid streamer that you can pick up. I don't think he's going to be anything too great. Um, I have him around like 11 points per game. And then we have Zeke. So remember I was talking about McCarthy and the fact that he leaned on Aaron Rodgers to pass the ball so much, and they never really committed to the run game as much as you might hope. I still think Zeke is going to be a 300-plus carry back. There was one season where Zeke was on pace for almost 400. Every other season he's had more than 300 um, or been on pace for more than 300 if he got hurt or missed games or whatnot from a suspension. But He's definitely going to have more than 300 carries. He's probably going to have his highest yards per carry because the offense is going to be extremely explosive and they're not going to be able to stack the box versus Ezekiel Elliott. If you stack the box versus Ezekiel Elliott with the team the Cowboys have put together now, Dak, whether you like him or not, whether you think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league or not, he will tear you up with Cooper, Gallup, and Lamb. Those receivers complement each other very well. They're one of the best maybe the best we'll see what lamb does in his rookie year maybe the best trio of wide receivers and i mean you you have no chance of beating the cowboys if you just stack the box you just have to be able to play a balanced defense and hope that you can get them off the field so here are my projections Dak, i have at 22.6 points per game that's just above carson wentz tied with kyler murray but i will always take kyler murray ahead of Dak because kyler with his rushing he rushes significantly more than Dak, has a higher ceiling I have Zach, uh, I have Dak throwing for 4,750 yards and 33 touchdowns, only running for 200 rushing yards and three touchdowns, again, like last year. Then Amari, I have at 14.7 points per game with 115 targets, 75 receptions, 1,100 yards, and eight touchdowns. Gallup, I have at 13.6, so just a point per game less for a two-round discount. I will take Gallup every time. I also have him at about 115 targets. Remember, I round for you guys just so it's easier when I'm reading it off. 65 uh, receptions, 
1,100 yards and seven touchdowns. Then Lamb, I have that 11.3 points per game. So he's just above Jalen Rager, which I did not expect at all. Um, because initially looking at the situation, I thought Rager had a much higher potential for targets. But after seeing the targets that Cobb got and that Lamb should get more than that, I was very pleasantly surprised to see that Lamb is actually probably going to be a pretty good receiver in his rookie year. I have him at 95 targets, 60 receptions, 850 yards, and 6 touchdowns. Then Blake Jarwin, I have at 11.5 points per game. Also around 95 targets, 70 touch, uh, seventy receptions, 800 yards, 5 touchdowns. And then Zeke is my number two running back behind Christian McCaffrey as of right now. And I have projected Saquon Barkley, which we'll get to later in this podcast. I've projected Alvin Kamara and I've projected Miles Sanders. So I've projected a lot of the big names that people will put in front of Zeke. I think the only person at this point who has a chance to pop in front of Zeke that I have yet to project is probably Dalvin Cook, but I don't think it's going to happen. So Zeke is my RB2. I have him for 1,450 rushing yards, 55 receptions, 450 receiving yards, so just short of 2,000 yards total, and 16 touchdowns, one per game. That's super feasible in my opinion. Usually people like to be more conservative on their touchdown projections for running backs and receivers, well, everyone in general, but I'm, I feel completely comfortable giving Zeke 16 touchdowns. I mean, one per game in the crazy good offense or efficient offense they should have is not a reach by any means. So that is the Cowboys. I think they're going to be one of the better offenses for sure. They're going to have plenty of good fantasy options for you. All right, we're halfway through. Now we're going to get into the New York Giants. So they added Andrew Thomas in the draft at fourth overall, who's going to be a very solid, fast contributor on the offensive line at offensive tackle. And then they also added Cameron Fleming. So I think their offensive line is going to be much better than last year, and it was already slightly improving. Then they also added James Bradbury, the corner from the Panthers, and Blake Martinez, the linebacker from the Packers. So their defense is going to be slightly better. Their offensive line is going to be slightly better. So because of these two things, I think they're going to they're going to throw slightly less and they're going to have an improved run game and a better defense, which, you know, run game, good defense goes hand in hand. So Daniel Jones It was very difficult, very difficult to parse through all the games of the Cowboys and try and figure out what's what's going to happen with the target shares and the target distributions. So here's the thing. There is not any sample, not a one-game sample, where all of Daniel Jones' weapons coming into this year were all on the field playing together. He had Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, Saquon Barkley, and Sterling Shepard to choose from. Those are his five, those are the five big names for New, for New York. There was only three games in which four of them played. And that was Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, he was a starter at that point, Golden Tate, and Saquon Barkley. There was no Sterling Shepard. In those three games, Daniel Jones had a 65% completion percentage compared to his season average of 62, and a 3-to-1 touchdown interception ratio compared to his season average of 2-to-1. So it's a small sample, but it could be what we see this year. Their improved offensive line should also help all of Daniel Jones' passing metrics along with the obvious fact of having everyone healthy, hopefully, like I said um, in many podcasts before, I always project health, then you have the sample size. So what were those three games? And that's important because when you're taking such a small sample, you have to 
to see if there's an outlier in there that completely ruins it. So the three-game stint of stats in that sample was versus Arizona, Detroit, and Dallas. So it sounds like a pretty well-rounded group. You have Arizona, not a great defense, but they do have Pat Pete. Um, and then Detroit, good defense, Darius Slay, Dallas, decent defense, Byron Jones. You think you're getting, you know, a good array of defenses. Not really, because Darius Slay did miss the game. And I just have to mention that because, I, one, I want you guys to know that I did notice that. I do see it. Um, but all this considered, I am projecting a 64% completion percentage. So remember that 65% was also without Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard's going to help that. And the offensive line is getting better, so that's going to help too. So even though I don't think he's going to be as good as he was in those three games, especially because Darius Slay was gone and Arizona wasn't great and Dallas was just okay um, last year on their defense, I do think that he's going to be close to that. Then you have Darius Slayton. So a lot of people love Darius Slayton. I get it. He was a rookie last year. He was He's the underdog. You know, He was a rookie who was on the, the end of the depth chart, was a like fourth... I actually don't remember where he was picked, but I know he was not a high pick at all. He was at at the highest, a fourth-round pick. Um, So he was a late-round draft pick at the end of the depth chart. Rookie, came on with the rookie quarterback, did some nice things, and you want to root for him. I get it. I actually like Darius Slayton a lot. Here's the thing, though. He had 15.5% of the targets last year, and that was... A lot of people want to say, oh, you know, he didn't start until... He only started nine games. He only started till week whatever, six or seven it was. Well, if you actually look at the games that he didn't, air quote, start, according to Pro Football Reference, and um, yeah, it is Pro, yeah, Pro Football Reference, he still was getting targets like a starter. I, I'm not sure how they determine the asterisk, whether it's somebody started or not. I don't know if it means they started on the first drive or if they had more snaps opposed to other receivers, but... He was getting about six targets per game in the games that he didn't, air quotes, start. So, And that's about what he was getting once he became a starter. So he was pretty much starting all season or getting the same amount of work all season. And it was a 15.5% target share. He did also have a 15-target game versus the Jets, which was an extreme outlier opposed to his normal 5-7. to So if you pulled that out, that... If you remove that outlier, that drops him to 13.7% of the target share, removing that one game. So that's a big difference. Also, there was no Evan Ingram after week eight. If you don't have Evan Ingram after week eight, and that's when you know, you're know more than half of your season that you're getting targets, you're probably not going to get the same amount of targets once Evan Ingram comes back. He's a great receiving option. So with all that said, I hope that this is a surprise to you because I tried to set it up that way. I'm projecting a 16% target share. So remember, I told you 15%, 15.5% last year. If you took out the outlier, 13.7, and that was without Evan Ingram. Well, I'm projecting 16 for this reason. Natural sophomore progression in his second year, and that's pretty much it. I think they're going to just involve him more, um, and he's going to get more targets. With all that said, you're still probably going to think I'm too low on Darius Slayton, but I had to give you the... You know, step-by-step, what I did, what I looked at. I mean, obviously, this is not exactly step-by-step. That would be a a crazy long podcast. But because it takes me about two hours per team. But 
Um, yeah, I have him getting about 90 targets, which is a lot because I don't have Jones throwing for that much. And like I said, I have him for 16%, which is pretty good considering how many actual decent weapons there are in New York, if you think about it. Then we have Sterling Shepard. Last year, his target share was 21.5%, but once again, there was no Evan Ingram. By the time Sterling Shepard came, remember I told you there was no sample in which everyone was on the field? That's because the first game Sterling Shepard started, that was the first game Evan Ingram missed. So he's not going to have 21.5% target share with Evan Ingram coming back, so that's going to decrease. I'm projecting him for 19.5. Then we have Golden Tate. He had 20%, but... Most of the time, Evan Ingram was not there, so he's also going to see a slight decrease to 18.5%. Then we have Evan Ingram, the guy who has been causing all of these target shares to decrease for me. So his target potential has is extremely hurt by having three quality receivers now with Shepard, Tate, and Slayton. And you also have Saquon Barkley. So all of those things hurt the target potential of Evan Ingram, which is one of the reasons he was so good. In years past he also has extreme injury risk these two things combine for this sentence i am not drafting evan ingram i have him lower than what most people have him um i have him in an area where there are all the tight ends around him that i have ranked around him right now are going four rounds later or three rounds later so i'm not taking evan ingram then we have saquon barkley his target potential is also hurt immensely by all the options now in the offense because just last year or just two years ago it was Evan Ingram Saquon Barkley and that was pretty much it um well two years two years ago they also had Odo um but it was just those three and then then it was last year it was Ingram when he was on the field Barkley and they never really got everything going with Slayton and uh Golden Tate so now they're going to have everyone together. That's going to hurt everyone, pretty much. But the one thing that does help, like I said, an explosive passing game always helps open up the run game. And I do think that's going to be very good for Barkley. So despite the fact that his target potential is hurt immensely by all the options, he should average a higher yards per carry with more threats in the passing game. I also think he's going to be among the league leaders in carries. I have him at 17 carries per game, which is about what he's gotten. And that puts him at 19.8 points per game. I have him for 1,350 rushing yards, 55 receptions, 450 receiving yards, and 13 touchdowns total. That has him behind Zeke, like we were just talking about. Um, And I think slightly in front of Kamara. Or no, he's actually behind Kamara. Saquon Barkley is my RB4 right now, and maybe Dalvin Cook will slide in front. But I'm feeling pretty solid that my top four running backs are going to be in this order. Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley. Then we have Daniel Jones. I have him at 20.4 points per game, but he's one of the guys with a lot of turnovers. Last year, um, he had so many fumbles, so many fumbles. It was just atrocious. And he didn't have a great touchdown-interception ratio. So even though I have him at 20.4 points per game, especially if you're in a league that penalizes you extremely for interceptions or fumbles, he's you're going to just have to knock him down. You're just going to have to keep in your in your head that he is a guy who turns the ball over a lot. So kind of just knock him down, the people that are ranked around him. I have him for 4,100 passing yards, 29 touchdowns, 350 rushing yards, and one um, one rushing touchdown. Then for Darius Slayton... 
So all three of the receivers I have in a very similar area. Darius Slayton, I have him for 90 targets. Sterling Shepard, I have for 110. And Golden Tate, I have for 105. Off of those targets, I have Darius Slayton at 11.1 points per game with 55 receptions, 825 yards. Oh, that was really specific. Um, if I round, it's actually 850. Um, seven touchdowns. Then, So that's seven touchdowns. Keep that in mind. Sterling Shepard, I have for 70 receptions, 800 yards, and only four touchdowns. And Golden Tate, I have for 60 receptions, 750 yards, and five touchdowns. So Darius Slayton is 11.1 points per game projected. That's right behind Sterling Shepard at 11.5, right above Golden Tate at 10.4. And I haven't projected for the most touchdowns. It might not land that way. That's what it looks like was going to happen. La- er, that That is what it looks like is going to happen this year based off last year. But that might not happen. It might go to Sterling Shepard. It might go to Golden Tate. Touchdowns are generally flexible. And, you know, game plans change and touchdowns can land wherever. So there is that thing to know with Darius Slayton. But he does have immense upside. And if he does end up getting the most targets out of all the receivers, I'm not projecting. I'm projecting a better um, target share this year than last year. But I don't think he's going to get the most targets. But that is in his potential and his ceiling so I actually do take him over Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate because I have them all in the same range but I have Slayton with the most potential because he seems to be the most well-rounded and the best receiver of them then you have Evan Ingram I have him at 11.9 points per game he's not far from guys um he's not far from guys like Blake Jarwin and I'm trying to think of one more um I think he's close to Gronk like right behind Gronk or right above Gronk. So there's a bunch of tight ends around Evan Ingram that I can get way later. So like I said, I'm not getting Evan Ingram, but I have him for 100 targets, 70 receptions, 850 receiving yards, and six touchdowns. And then Saquon Barkley, I already went over. So that is the Giants. That's what I have projected for the Giants. I actually was surprised because they do have some good, they have some good um, options for their offense. They have three good receivers. They have one of one of the best I actually would argue not for fantasy but in just in terms of football in general I would say Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the NFL and then you know they have Evan Ingram who's a pretty good pretty solid tight end especially if he can just stay healthy and they also added to their O-line don't forget that so I think they have a decent cast built around Daniel Jones he might be able to do something but I don't fully believe in him yet I want to see more from him and that is the Giants now we're going to get into the horrible, most hated team that I ever want to project. I struggled so much, the Redskins. So before I get into them, if you're a Redskins fan, I'm sorry. Don't take it as hate. I have nothing against the Redskins. It's just, they are a mess. They have they had a horrible, horrible offense last year. They're still a mess right now. The depth chart is a mess. They have like six running backs on their roster. And three of them, they just signed in free agency. Then they drafted one. They have one that should be their lead back, but it's always hurt. Then they have Adrian Peterson, who they re-signed and decided to keep him, even though he's super old. Like, what is going on with you guys? The the only person that I'm confident in with the Washington Redskins is Terry McLaurin. I don't know who the second receiver is going to be. I don't know who the third receiver is going to be. I don't even know if Dwayne Haskins is going to start the whole year. There's so many things going on with the Redskins that just, you know, listener beware, this is me trying to make the most out of very little in terms of there's not much 
history to go on here. There's not much tendencies or patterns to look at. There's not much of anything to project the Redskins. And if there's somebody saying that they're super confident projecting the Redskins, I would call them out on it. But let's get into it. They only threw the ball 479 times last year. Only 479 times. And they were 2-14, and 14, was it? Whenever you are one of the worst teams in the NFL, you usually pass the ball a lot. You're usually trying to catch up in games, and that means you throw the ball. They were so bad that they couldn't even stay on the field long enough to do that. And it's just it's ridiculous. Haskins only threw the ball 25 times per game. 25 times per game. You don't even see that from teams like the 49ers who would rather run the ball four times in a row than pass it. I mean, Jimmy was throwing 29 times per game last year, and they had an elite defense, one of the best defenses that we've seen in a couple years or a few years, and they have an amazing run game with two running backs that average more than five yards per carry, and he threw more than that. So that's just ridiculous. And to make it make matters worse, the Redskins only were able to run the ball 22 times per game, which is also one of the worst in the league. So their offense was horrible in every facet of the game. Like I said, this is probably the least confident in my projections I have ever been on a team in the last three years that I've been doing this um, because of how big of a mess their team is right now. So right now I have Haskins projected for 30 passes per game because I don't think their offense is going to be that much better than last year, but I don't think it can be nearly as worse as it was. So I have to project that they're going to be better, whether it's from Haskins getting better or better coaching. Maybe Antonio Gibson and Antonio Gandy-Golden can make the difference. Whatever. Oh, that's A-G-G and A-G. I just noticed that. They like those letters. Anyways, um, yeah, so something's going to cause them to get better. There's no way they're going to be that bad. So I have them at 30 times per game, 30 passes. Um, And last year, just something I want to note, Dwayne Haskins had six fumbles. Not all of them were fumbles lost, but he fumbled the ball six times and threw seven interceptions. So that's 13 potential turnovers if all the fumbles were recovered by the defense and only had seven touchdowns. So that also doesn't make me confident in the Redskins at all. So honestly, I'm staying away from this team unless somebody shows extreme value. Even though Terry McLaurin's the only person I am confident in projecting and think I will be pretty close to what actually happens next year, with McLaurin, I'm still not going to take him where his ADP is at unless he falls a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm not taking him at his current ADP, and he's the only one I'm confident in. Pretty much everyone else I'm staying away away from completely, except for maybe Antonio Gibson, and I'll get into why in a little bit. But Terry McLaurin had 22% of the targets last year. He is the only good fantasy option with any form of consistency on the Redskins. He will lead the team in targets. But I don't think he's going to see a big jump due to the fact, in terms of fantasy points, due to the fact that the offense is still going to be so bad. Then you have Steven Sims. So he's actually somebody that caught on at the end of last year and was getting around six targets per game, the same as Terry McLaurin. Um, But just because we didn't see it for as long and I don't think he's nearly as good of a player, he's definitely not as Terry McLaurin. I don't think that's going to continue. Um, so he's not really a relevant guy. He's, I'm not confident in his projection, but I do have him being the second or third receiver on their team. Um, I just am not really looking for him at all in drafts. Then we have 
And this is going to make some of you guys mad. Sorry. But then we have Calvin Harmon. I'm not projecting Antonio Gandy-Golden to do anything. Um, he's in my other category. So, like, he is project projected to do some stuff, but, like, not anywhere near relevant enough for me to give you his individual projection. Kelvin Harmon, I had to choose between him and AGG for this third receiver slot, who the other guy is going to be on the outside for Dwayne Haskins. I was really high on Kelvin Harmon pre-draft last year. I had him as a second-round grade for receiver. Um, a lot of people had him in their top five. I had him in my top five, I think at four or five. So I had a much higher grade on him than I did on Antonio Gandy-Golden, as did most. So I do think he's going to win the job as the other outside receiver. And he did okay last year when they did target him. I do think he's a good dynasty pickup. I actually, in my dynasty league, just saw him get dropped. So I will be trying to pick him up. But outside of dynasty, he's probably not relevant otherwise in redraft. Um, but I do think he's a good hold in, in Dynasty. And AGG is too, don't get me wrong. He has potential, and it is very possible. Like I said, I'm not that confident in these Redskins projections outside of Terry McLaurin. It's very possible Gandy Golden ends up being the third receiver and overtakes Kelvin Harmon. They, they, they also drafted him higher than Kelvin Harmon for some reason. He dropped to the sixth round. I don't know why, but then we have Antonio Gibson. This is the only other player that I could possibly see myself drafting. Pretty much, if you want me to sum it up, not saying he is Chris Thompson, but they basically drafted their Chris Thompson replacement. They lost Chris Thompson. Chris Thompson, whenever he was healthy, was always a good plug-and-play in your flex. He was a safe bet to get five receptions or around five receptions and like 50 receiving yards. That's pretty much what I'm expecting from Antonio Gibson because Ron Rivera did say his comments of you know him being like a Christian McCaffrey-type player. That's obviously not anywhere close to what he is um but i think he's just trying to illuminate possible ways that the redskins are trying to use antonio gibson so i think he's going to be kind of like a scat back if you don't want to look at chris thompson maybe like a james white or a Dion lewis role so that's what i um foresee for antonio gibson and i do think that he will be somewhat decent in you know if you have like a deep flex league where you have two flexes and two running backs and three receivers or something like that. Um, even just a double flex league and two receivers, two running backs. But I think Antonio Gibson will be good enough that you can throw him into your lineups and he'll have a safe floor for you and maybe you can hope he breaks one for a touchdown um, because of the amount of targets and receptions he's going to get. Then you have Darius Geis. So the three running backs I decided to project were Antonio Gibson, their running back slash receiver, Darius Geis, and Adrian Peterson. I'm not going to project Bryce Love. I'm not going to project anybody else, any of the other million running backs that they have. They signed J.D. McKissick, they signed Peyton Barber, and they have like two other running backs on their roster right now too. Um, but those are the guys I'm projecting. Guys, so remember they only ran the ball 22 times per game last year. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball much more this year. So that kind of sucks because I don't think they trust Geis anymore. I don't think they trust him to carry a big load they're not going to just give him 80 percent of the carries and even if they gave him 80 percent of the carries 80 percent of 22 is like 16 carries 17 carries that's i mean that's obviously a lot but he's not going to be anywhere near 80 percent most guys are going to be like 65 percent if they're a true one and 65 percent of 22 is you know not much it's like 14 or 13 i'm just doing it in my head just but it's about that, which is not a lot. 
And I don't think that they trust him even that much. I think they kept Adrian Peterson for a reason. They drafted Antonio Gibson for a reason. They signed Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick for a reason. They don't trust Darius Geis. He's going to split carries probably more than you want and probably more than you think. I'm not touching him in drafts. Then you have Adrian Peterson. I think he's just going to be the lesser share of an already low carry count with Darius Geis. So here are my projections. Dwayne Haskins, by far in a tier by himself, 15.2 points per game, 3,500 passing yards, 19 touchdowns, 220 rushing yards, and one touchdown. I'm not touching him in redraft. He's barely going to get started in super flex leagues unless you're just, you know, very strong in other areas and, you know, you just want quarterback really late. But Haskins is probably going to be one of the worst fantasy quarterbacks. I'd be surprised if he's inside the top 20. Then you have Terry McLaurin. I have him at 14.3 points per game, 115 targets, 75 receptions. Excuse me. 1,050 receiving yards and eight touchdowns. Then Steven Sims, like I said, irrelevant, um, but he's just one of the main three receivers, so I was projecting him. 6.6 points per game, 75 targets, 45 receptions, 400 yards, and three touchdowns. Kelvin Harmon, 8.5 points per game, 85 targets, 50 receptions, 650 yards, and three touchdowns. And then Antonio Gibson, so here he is, 11.9 points per game, so decent second flex or even flex if you know you have bye weeks or injuries or whatnot i have him for only 300 rushing yards they're not going to give him too many carries they have a lot more options um to give carries to but i have him for 70 receptions which that might sound outlandish but sorry Uh, sorry that was like the second yawn in like the last minute but um antonio gibson it's, it's not an outlandish projection for him because Chris Thompson, if he ever played 16 games, would have been getting 70 receptions on the reg. So um, that's not ridiculous for Gibson at all. And they might, you know, use him like a Christian McCaffrey who we see break 100 receptions every year. So Antonio Gibson, 70 receptions, 600 yards off of those receptions and five touchdowns. So I have him for almost 1,000 scrimmage yards, but the 70 receptions is really what makes him relevant in PPR leagues. Then you have Darius Geis. I have him at 9.9 points per game. So I do think Antonio Gibson is going to be the highest scoring running back out of them. Darius Geis I have for 750 rushing yards with just over 10 yards or 10 attempts per game, 10 rushes per game. Because remember, they're only going to run the ball about 22 times per game. I figure Antonio Gibson probably gets 3 to 4. Darius Geis gets 10 to 11. And Adrian Peterson gets 6 to 7. And there you go. That's your 22. So I have him for 750 rushing yards, 25 receptions, 250 receiving yards, and six total touchdowns. Adrian Peterson, just a backup. I'm not touching him at all anymore, especially because of the addition of Antonio Gibson. Adrian Peterson I have for 5.4 points per game, 500 rushing yards, 10 receptions, 90 receiving yards, and three touchdowns. So for the running game total, I have 14 touchdowns, um, which I think they'll be right around. It could be a little bit less. But that's the Redskins. Remember, before I end this episode, the Redskins I am the least confident in. The least confident in, except for Terry McLaurin. All right? And then Antonio Gibson is a good flyer if you can get, can get him at a good value. Um, and I am pretty interested in him in Dynasty Leagues just because of the potential that he has there. And don't be surprised if Kyle Allen ends up taking the job for Dwayne Haskins and ruins all of these projections. Um, this is definitely a team I'm going to be paying 
a lot of attention to in the preseason to try and figure out their depth chart and figure out what kind of possible tendencies they're going to do in, you know, the uh, dress rehearsal preseason week three. But that's the Redskins. That's the end of the NFC East. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys have any questions, suggestions, whatnot, let me know. Remember to follow us. And if you enjoy the podcast, I really do try to do a very specific deep dive, try and give you guys more specifics of things that you can get from other podcasts. So remember to leave a review, give me a good rating if you like it, and peace out. Have a good one.